From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 214. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace and FreshBooks and Simple Contacts. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined across the airwaves by the one and only Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley from the airwaves. Woo! Airwaves. How are those waves of air today? They're, we're surfing them, dude. It's California. Nobody cares about this, Jason, because it's time <laughs> for Hashtag Snell Talk. And this week's question comes from someone named Casey. Casey wants to oh, know, no. has Jason ever lived outside of California? If so, where? If not, where would he consider living? Well, hi, Lister Casey. Upgrading Casey. It's good to hear from you. Sounds like the kind of person who's uh, super into the West Coast lifestyle to me. Yeah. This person. I think that this person is purely asking because they would like to also move to the West Coast. Because I, I think, think so. I think they probably think it's the best coast. I so. think almost certainly they, they mm-hmm. think that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, listener Casey, have I ever lived outside of California? I haven't. I'm, I, I was born in California. Uh, however, I will say that... Uh, to put this in perspective, because I know some people uh, don't understand this, California is a very large place. It's about the size of France. <laughs> it's um, it's big. Uh, so I was born in Oakland, but I grew up in the uh, foothills, which is about 100 miles east of the Bay Area. Um, I went to college in San Diego, which is many hundreds of miles away. It was about a nine-hour drive to go from home to school. Um. And now I live in the Bay Area. So although I have never lived outside of California, I have definitely lived in three uh, very distinct right. regions right. in they, California. I assume like the, the climates and the terrain and stuff is very different in those areas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's yes, yeah, San, San Diego is quite different, and we have seasons up in the up in the foothills and the mountains. Um, I had a friend who was from Tennessee and went to college in Ohio, and um, she said, "Oh, you Californians, you're you're so provincial." And I said, "I will bet you that my college was further away from my home than yours was," and it absolutely was true by like a hundred miles. <laughs> because even though she had to go through a couple of states to get there, because um, California is really big, um, have I ever lived? outside then no where if not where would i consider living i gotta say listener casey probably will back me up on this i'm a i'm a kind of a west coast guy i i think um the places that i think realistically i would consider living outside of california would be uh you know oregon washington it's probably about it in a pinch if i was forced to flee to higher ground you know maybe i would go to I don't know, Colorado, Utah, something like that. Um, I don't feel like I'm an East Coast guy. I, I'd go, I'd live in Hawaii. <laughs> that would be expensive, but I, I would do that. I, I'd suffer that indignity of living in Hawaii all I'd the time. i the time zone problems. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I'd have to deal with it, being, being way back there in time, but uh, that would be pretty nice. So anyway, yeah, but I think realistically, um, I'm probably a California lifer, and I'm okay with that because I am, even though they always joke about how you know, nobody is from California. That's not true. Lots of us are from California, and and I am. So yes, made made uh, by Apple, designed by Apple in California. Whatever. Yeah, that's um, me too. All right. So thank you so much to listener Casey for sending in that question. If you would like to send in a question to open the show, just send a tweet with the hashtag Snell Talk, and it goes into a wonderful document for me to pick from in future episodes. And this question can be about anything. Whatever you would like to know about Jason, you can ask and potentially 
I may ask Jason, and he may answer. But we do have some follow-up today. Uh, this comes in from Upgradian Oliver. We were talking uh, in uh, Ask Upgrade last week about if Apple Pay Cash may ever get outside of the U.S., and we were talking about some of the various complications that could be surrounding uh, launching that out and rolling it out because it's taken them taken them about a year at this point, and it's just been uh, U.S. only, I think, right? So I think it, it launched with iOS last year, didn't it? Kind yeah. of around that yeah. time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So... There has been some uh, reporting done by uh, Mac rumors because their list, their readers have been sending in stuff. There has been kind of rumblings and little hints that it may be expanding into Europe. So some people in France, for example, have been seeing Apple Pay Cash setup screens on their Apple Watch. And then some uh, digging has discovered that uh, Apple Pay Cash support pages have been localized for Austria, Italy, Poland, Sweden, and Russia. So something's happening. This happened with Apple Pay when Apple Pay launched um, itself outside of the U.S. There was some stuff where um, it was starting to show up in this way, like screens were showing up on the iPhone and pages started to appear. So it seems like uh, Apple Pay Cash could be imminently rolling out to Europe, um, which would be wonderful, and I hope that that includes the United Kingdom. We, we can't tell by the page localization uh, because I assume we just use the pages that are written in English for Americans, I would expect. Uh, so I really do hope that this is something that pops up. And I do hope, again, as we spoke about last time, if Apple do do this, they find a way to make uh, international transfers a simple possibility because that would be truly wonderful right. if I could send yeah. Jason a dollar every time he gives me a good idea. You know, very easy to do. That's great. My price is higher than that, but okay. Uh, yeah, this is great. Apple Pay Cash is good. $2. Uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy using it when I get a chance to use it. It's easy. It is uh, one of the few iMessage apps that I've ever used. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's nice to be able to just say, you wire it up and, and then say, here it is, I'm going to pay you. And and it's relatively easy to pull it back out um, and put it back in your bank account if you have a large balance too. So, or you just leave a little leave a little bit on the phone and and uh, in your account. And it, it, yeah, it's and good. You can I, use it then, can't you? It's just like regular Apple Pay. So like you yeah, could go to Walgreens you can. or whatever. And and I don't know if they support it. I just picked that name out. And yeah, you sure. Could I use go to Whole money. Foods and buy some peanut butter with that. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, you can. And then otherwise, it's like a PayPal balance almost, where like somebody pays you fifteen dollars, and then later you pay somebody five dollars, and it just comes out of the fifteen that you already had sitting there. Yeah. You can pull it out if somebody gives you eight hundred dollars in Apple Pay Cash. You can pull that out and put it back in your in your bank. You link it. You link it to a bank account basically via a debit card essentially and then it all works yeah it's great it's actually a really well put together product and has not i i envision that the banking system would have put up more roadblocks to make it more finicky and and less uh sort of frictionless and uh between apple and the banks and the financial system however they you know they they visualized this feature uh and then realized it it is good it's a it's good i like it a lot so i hope other people in the world get to get to use it and that we get to send money to each other it would be really weird if they didn't deal with the currency and it was sort of like your wallet has $40 and 3 pounds in it <laughs> like i don't want why are they there mm-hmm. um but that's a it's actually a really good question like would they auto convert or would they give it to you in that currency and then you could choose to convert it or 
keep it so that you could pay another British person pounds later? I, I don't know. That's a, a real mm. interesting question to, to be sorted out. Everything that I've ever used that does this, it makes you choose, right? So like the money will come in in dollars and then you you transfer it when you're ready. So PayPal does this. I just recently started right, using TransferWise and it's the same, right? Like you have multiple currencies and then you choose. And the reason for this is like if you're receiving a lot of money, the exchange can be a big difference, right? So you might want to exchange the money on a day when the market is in your favor. So... Hmm. we'll see we'll see what they end up doing but there are there are pluses and minuses i think no matter what way they decide to go because if they do the multiple currency thing then that's just going to be complicated so yeah i don't know yeah. i'm i'm keen to see um i am also personally in the camp that i would be absolutely not surprised at all if it was inter-country only like you could only transfer yeah. within your country but i wouldn't I really be surprised the case but yeah i would like it if you could send me a dollar and literally be like i want to send jason u.s dollars yep. one and yep. then it does the conversion on the fly i get a dollar you have whatever needs to be deducted from your balance in pounds and it's just that's it you sent me a dollar i don't care sort of like how many pounds that is you sent me a dollar i like that that's that's good all right so should we do some upstream I I think so. There's is there anything happening in the world of streaming uh, services? And, yeah, there's, Let me there's tell you, a little bit. There most yeah. definitely is. There's actually mm-hmm. quite a lot going on this week. I think I'm going to save some of it for next week, um, because I expect that we that you know there might not be as much, but there's some big movements happening with Netflix that we might get into in the future. But Amazon. Uh, is quite clearly, Jason, trying to find their Game of Thrones. Yep. Jeff Bezos wants a Game of Thrones. He wants an international sensation. Mm-hmm. He, he you know, he's basically has said that, right, in not so many yes, words. Yes, absolutely. No, I think in, the, in that many words. I think it was those exact that. words. He that wants a, a huge quote. <laughs> international hit. And so they've done a bunch of stuff already. They paid famously like a huge amount of money just for the rights to the Lord of the Rings Yep. Um, characters. Lord of the Rings, yes. Mm-hmm. And and that is now being developed into a series, but they like they, they spent huge amounts of money just for the rights. Now the series development is going on. It's unclear whether... Um, I, I think they're trying to get Peter Jackson involved in some way, whether it's just his blessing or as a consultant Producer or something. something. Yeah. But they, I think they would like to make it... F- feel like those movies that were so wildly popular um uh, to or a certain even degree. just like just at least attach his name to it so it adds the credibility for people yeah, that are going to check exactly right. It, right but it's it's unclear i mean he won't be heavily involved but it's unclear whether he might be involved a little bit or not um but that's going on that was like the first sign mm-hmm. and they've made other deals since then and the item that you've got in here is is the latest in the line, yep. right? Which is that they've got a deal uh, to adapt Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time series, which is many, many books. It was a book series so long that Robert Jordan died before he finished wow. it, and they had to hire another writer to finish the story. See, I don't know this story. story. I don't think I know this. It, like, it, is this a, like, I'm assuming it is, but specifically, like, well-regarded series? Like, a really... It is an like, ep- it is an epic fantasy series. It is, I would say, generally well-regarded, although most of the people I know read it for a while and then just got tired of it because it's so long. Okay. Um, I will say our friend Kathy Campbell, Mrs. Soup, in the chat room, uh, it's, I think, her favorite or one of her very favorite book series. Right. And she's read it all probably more than once. I don't okay. know. Kathy can tell me that. But um, a- anyway, it is an epic 
uh, series. There's a lot of material. There are a lot of characters, and uh, so they've added they've added that to their list. Um, and they, you know, so so they continue to build these uh, these deals. They've got a deal with Neil Gaiman. Yeah, that that is called an overall TV deal, which is another yeah. thing that they announced at the same time, which basically just means anything (laughs) yeah well he's doing so neil gaiman the for those who don't know uh, best-selling writer um he's actually doing a show with them now that's co-produced by bbc but it's going to premiere on amazon prime worldwide and that is uh good omens which is a book that neil gaiman wrote with terry pratchett and um and apparently, you know, Neil Gaiman, even though he's a novelist, he knows, I think with, between this and American Gods, he knows that, you know, there's a lot of money in TV, too, and that he part and of hey, his career. If, you, if you've written the book, the book's written. Why not do something more? Like, you totally see why this happens and why people do it. It's like, he wrote the book. The book is done. Now they can, it can be adapted into a TV series. Great. Like, let's go for it. You see how this yeah. stuff is, is playing out now. It's it's so interesting like to see these companies, you know, these tech focused companies just picking like going to the library and just like picking these things off the shelves. It's so fascinating. So like there is that one, right? So like obviously Amazon's doing its thing. But Netflix have announced, I think, something equally huge, which right. is that they're gonna be developing adaptations of the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, they have they're very proud of the fact that they are the first company to ever have the rights to all of the books. There are seven books in the Chronicles of Narnia series. You know, most people know about the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe is one of the books. Right. They have all of them. And and apparently this has never been this has never happened before. So all seven books, they have the rights for them. Like the prime deal with the Tolkien estate, my understanding like here is the idea is that they they own the rights to Narnia at this point. And they yep. can tell that story. They don't have to do I think this is really smart, actually, because there have been so many adaptations of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe over the years that they have Narnia. So they can tell that story or stories in that world, and they can do it however they want. Yep. And they've said new series and film projects. So I think the idea here is they might be able to produce uh, films, if they want to, uh, that would de- presumably just debut on Netflix, but that they also could drill down and do series, and they can cover this whole world instead of doing, you know, essentially rehashing the exact same story about the kids who find the the back of the wardrobe leads to yep. a magical world. They can take a, a kind of a bigger picture. Well, and- especially because famously those books were kind of released out of order, right? So like they, they could go back to the start, couldn't they? Exactly, they could. They could tell it in sort of any direction that they want to. And, you know, I've, I've never been thrilled with any of the adaptations. I read those books when I was a kid, but I, I, I think it's interesting just again that... Basically, these companies that have all this money, and we talked about Apple being in here, but Amazon and Netflix, uh, and and of course Disney and Comcast, like these companies that are huge companies and they have a lot of money, and they know that the world is going to streaming. One of the things that they are all looking for is blockbuster hits. HBO and Game of Thrones really made everybody sit up and take notice. Like that was a huge hit. It was a big picture epic, epic fantasy, which has led to a lot of people saying we'll do an epic fantasy too. My guess is that the next big crossover breakthrough worldwide hit 
won't be fantasy <laughs> that everybody's skating to where the puck was and not where it will go. But it is uh, it is telling that Game of Thrones not only has thrown a lot of money at uh, Warner Brothers, which is now uh, owned by who owns them now? Uh, is that uh, oh, is that uh, Comcast? Uh, yeah, sure. I don't, I, I, don't I don't even know who who owns them yet. Some some giant conglomerate owns Warner now. Uh, uh, but uh, it's uh, AT&T oh, yeah, it's AT and T. AT and T owns them. Oh, another yeah. giant with lots of money to throw around. So it, it's not only that that's generated a lot of money for for AT and T now and 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 Warner Media. Uh, but it has cost uh, the rest of their competitors a lot of money because everybody is now spending huge amounts of money uh, on this stuff. And again, my gut feeling is the giant de- blockbuster rights deals that are being bought here are less likely to generate the worldwide sensation than something that happens a little more organically. But, mm-hmm. you know... It's Hollywood. I think that one of these shows, like one of these, probably one of these ones that we've mentioned today or at some point, one of them is going to be a next big hit, right? But maybe not Game of Thrones, but like you've got to assume that at least one of these is going to, you know, break out and be like, oh, that's the show everyone's talking about right now. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they're they're brand names. That's why they do them. Um, Something that I talk about with Tim Goodman on the TV podcast we do is, you know, hit... TV talk machine on the incomparable. You can listen to it. Uh, he he points out like especially network TV. Like why does network TV do reboots now uh, in the U.S.? They're doing like reboots and remakes and revivals of old stuff, and they're and they're doing like mo- TV versions of movie titles like Lethal Weapon and things like that. Why is that? And the answer is. It's a name you recognize. It's a concept you know. There's some value in like getting people's attention with something that is uh, that they already know about. That that's the idea. There is that when you're desperate for attention and trying to get an audience, one way you do it is by using some concept or name that they're familiar with. And that's what's mm-hmm. going on here with uh, you know uh, maybe not so much Wheel of Time, although it's got a little bit of resonance. But like the Lord of the Rings thing, the Chronicles of Narnia thing, like that's part of what's going on there. They want a big concept. They've got a world that's pre-built that some people know about and we'll see um how these investments pay off again my gut feeling is that the next big thing will just emerge and partly that's my uh you know i i think it's more likely that somebody will find a book that nobody's ever heard of or that very few people have heard of and say that's the book that will be like um the broken earth trilogy by nk jemison which won three consecutive hugo awards for best novel i think that has been picked up and like that's a that's a book series almost nobody outside of like the sci-fi world has read I never that heard could of that. be <laughs> and, and it could be it could be huge right and that would be like game of thrones which the george R. R. martin series was only really read by sci-fi and fantasy nerds and it was it was like it was gaining attention and it was it sold really well but still like not like when it reached a tv audience i feel like my gut feeling is that, that that's a more likely source of the next big hit than a uh, a book written in the middle of the 20th century that's been uh, that's they spent a lot of money on uh, turning into a series or a chain of movies, but we'll see. Like this is uh, it's a high stakes game here, and uh, and these these players have the money, so they're gonna they're gonna take their uh, they're gonna take their chances because they think it's probably uh, a bet worth taking. Can I just super super quick before we do our next piece of news? I'll be talking about Netflix. Uh, I just wanted to recommend a Netflix show that I stumbled across and watched all and really enjoyed. It's called The Good Cop. 
Um, I saw a trailer for it on Netflix and was really surprised to see Josh Groban in the show. It's like, oh, that's Josh Groban, right? The singer-songwriter. And Tony Danza. And Tony Danza. I was like, I saw the trailer. The trailer looked good. It looked funny. It's a very good, lighthearted comedy with detective mystery. It's, it's, there's like whodunits and stuff. It's, it's really good. I enjoyed it. We watched it all. So Tim, Tim Goodman's review of it was hilarious because basically what he said is uh, it's like, it's like a, a basic cable show from the old days of like USA Network and the Blue Skies, like Monk and things like that. He said it's or it's like a network show. It's like super soft and fun and no hard edges. And he basically exactly what he does not like. And 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 he was like, "It's people are gonna love it." <laughs> He's like, I, "I hate this. People are gonna love it." I mean, yeah, yeah. I love me. I am obviously the the people that Tim is referring to, which is fine. I see, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I, I well, really you, you liked and everybody it. else probably. And I think I was super surprised at how good and funny Josh Groban was in this show. I was like, "All right, Josh Groban. Like, here's another thing you can do. I recommend it. It's a good show. People should check and, it out." And. And this is my update. Uh, N.K. Jemison's Hugo Award-winning uh, books that start with the fifth season is being developed as a drama at TNT, which is a basic <laughs> cable channel in uh, in the U.S. So that it is it is definitely being uh, made. Who knows? Last thing: Apple was supposedly, reportedly, uh, according to the Telegraph, working with UK TV provider BT to make its uh, to make the Apple TV its set-top box. So this deal would be available. This is where it gets confusing to EE broadband customers. EE, the mobile network, owns BT. <laughs> BT is British Telecom. Uh, it's now the parent company. So EE broadband customers would be given an Apple TV box, which would come preloaded with apps, which allow for like BT Sport and the BT over the top like TV service that they provide. Huh. Um, this is you know we have seen these deals before. Like Canal Plus uh, Canal was one Plus. of them in, in Canal Plus in uh, France is one of these too. Um, and apparently this is uh, just another step for Apple to try and get the pay TV stuff kicked off outside of other countries and to try and make the Apple TV uh, a more widely accepted product, which if you think about it, is kind of a genius move to try and find ways to sneak the Apple TV into people's homes before Apple has their own service that you can pay for, right? Mm. It's like, okay, this is interesting. Like, here you go. Here's a free one of these without Apple having to give it away, right? So they, they work with other providers. The providers put them in people's homes as part of the contract that they pay for. And then when Apple has its own TV shows available, the Apple TVs have already been wide, more widely adopted. It is an interesting move, um, and I'm keeping my eye on that one. All right, today's right. show is brought to you by our friends over at Simple Contacts. I'm sure that you're all busy people out there. I know this. I know that the Upgradians are very busy and that there's lots of things that demand your time. You have work to do. You have side projects to complete, maybe a video game or two to play. But luckily, you don't have to worry about ordering your contact lenses because Simple Contacts is here to make it super simple for you. They will let you renew your prescription and reorder your contacts online. You can do it from anywhere you want in just minutes and their self-guided vision test will take you just five of those minutes to complete. This is way faster than taking taking time off out of your day to go to the doctor's office. A licensed doctor reviews every single simple contacts test, so you can skip the office visit, but not the care. 
But I do want to let you know this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You need to go and do that, right, whenever it is that you need to do it on your schedule. Simple contacts is just checking that the last prescription, your current prescription, still helps you see 2020, and then they will renew your lenses based on that prescription. They're not writing completely new prescriptions or examining your eye health, but what they can do is take away that time from you needing to go to the doctor's office to renew your contact lenses. Now, Jason, I believe that you have, in fact, taken that very simple test, and I wanted to know what your experience was like. Yeah, it's uh, funny because they've got a little video person, little video helper who mm-hmm. uh, walks you through the process and will say, like, nope, you need to, uh, you know, hold it further away. And then you basically get an eye chart and you need to read the letters, and it uses uh, speech recognition to confirm that you're reading the right letters and that's all part of the eye test because what they want to do is make sure that your contact lens prescription is still valid because that's the idea here is that they're renewing your existing prescription so they want to uh, verify that you have uh, 2020 vision and they can do that by you sticking your phone uh, somewhere or your ipad and then walking away and uh, using it as an eye chart and then they do the test for you it's very clever you could even, I don't know, dress your iPad up in a little white doctor's coat, you know, if, if that, that makes sure. you feel better. Yeah, make a mannequin, uh-huh. uh, dress it up as a doctor, uh, have a place where the head is to put your iPad and then do mm-hmm. that. If you really wanted to if do really that, wanted. that's less convenient at that point than maybe going <laughs> to a doctor. And the point of this is that it's super convenient. Maybe so, more novel, you know. Whatever whatever you want to do whatever in your own home is your business. Your frankly. business. Simple contacts of all the brands and lens type you're familiar with. Their vision test costs just 20 the prices of the contact lenses are unbeatable and their standard shipping is free plus on top of all of that we have a special offer for the upgradians you can join the other 5,000 people who have rated simple contacts five stars in the app store and get $20 off your contacts by going to simplecontacts.com slash ahoy20 and using the code ahoy20 that's simplecontacts.com slash ahoy20 and use the code A-H-O-Y-2-0 for $20 off. Our thanks to Simple Contacts for their support of Upgrade and Relay FM. So, do you remember last week? I thought, I think it would be nice if we had a little chat about some of the rumors and what we might like in the next iPad Pro. And then, friend of the show... Mm. Best friend. I think think, uh, Mr. Rambo has has now insisted that he is the BFF of the The show. The best friend of the show forever, Guillermo Rambo over at 9to5Mac has published a report that I think, from looking at this, it appears that uh, he has pieced together things that he has discovered in iOS 12.1 with some information from some unnamed sources, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is the first time I've seen him write a report in this way, right? With like, I have sources rather than I'm just like a great spelunker. I feel like he got into this along with Steve Trotton Smith because they were good at um, digging up details in uh, public things released mm-hmm. by Apple or things put out on the internet by Apple accidentally or whatever. And this seemed to, uh, as I was reading, I was like, oh, um, he he quotes or references according to sources, like mm-hmm. their people he's talking to. So that's really familiar with the development of the iPad pro have offered Mm -hmm. additional details about the device. Yeah. How about that? I really like this article. It's nicely written. It's nicely chunked up. Um, I want to give you the details here, but you should go check it out anyway, because he did a good job. Uh, two sizes of iPads with two Wi-Fi and LTE models of each. Seems pretty normal. Edge to edge display, no home button and no notch. 
because the bezels will be large enough to incorporate the true depth system and therefore making the iPad easy enough to hold, right? You've got to have some bezels. Uh, so I will say, if it's got bezels, it's not an edge-to-edge display. <laughs> Just saying. Okay, yeah, let, let's a, say then edge. it's edge-to-edge in the way that we understand it. Of like, It's edge-ish. Edge-ish. Because well, it's like the iPhone X isn't edge-to-edge either, but it's like you can... You, basically, you look at it and you're like, this is the smallest it could be, right? And I'm assuming it's going to be very small, but if you actually had edge-to-edge, it probably wouldn't be that convenient to hold because you'd always be covering something. So exactly. let's just assume it, it goes to the complete maximum that you would expect well, from the device to be. Think about what happened when they redesigned the iPad uh, Pro and they reduced the bezels and there was that whole conversation about how they had like... Increased palm detection and all the that The palm stuff. detection and all that, right? So it's it's more of that. The idea right now is that those iPads have a very large bezel at the top and the bottom and a narrow bezel at the sides. I would not be surprised if the side bezel doesn't really get much more narrow, maybe a little bit, but mm-hmm. that the top and the bottom will get reduced a lot. Yeah. And and it won't be invisible to the edge, but uh, it'll be much, much closer to that while still allowing them to have some hardware on there and f- yeah. some place for you to put your hands when you're holding My it. expectation yeah. is that the bezel will be about as thick as the notches on the iPhone ten. right? That mm. they'll just be like, that's the space we need to embed the camera. So we'll make that the thickness basically the whole right. way around. You know, it's, I think that might be a way to kind of think about so, it. And that is about as thick as the, the, the side bezels on like the 10.5 inch iPad Pro, for example. Yeah. I think that's fine, and and you do have to hold it. So yeah, and and it's not just about uh, palm detection; it's about being able to cover to not cover content with your hands while you're holding the device, right? Because if if you want to watch a movie uh, or or look at a YouTube video and you're holding it in your hands and your hands are covering up the movie, that's not good. So yeah, you exactly. need a little bit of space. Uh, this iPad, these iPads, will include the Face ID system found in the 2018 iPhone line, so the 10s, the 10s Max, and the 10R. But it will work in portrait and landscape, but not upside down, is noted. So, as I think we spoke about last week, our assumption would be there is a landscape and there is a portrait, right? So that's how it will work. You can't do it in all four orientations. It will. There has been uh, Rambo found code which said please turn your iPad the other way around, right? So there is a portrait and a landscape, but it is not clear on if if this will be enabled via hardware or software. So we don't know if it's going to come to other devices. Um, There is no information given in this report about whether it is extra cameras or different cameras or different sensors or software. That is unknown, but it will work in portrait and landscape, but one of each, basically. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, these iPads will feature USB-C, and this will allow them to output to 4K HDR displays. Now, this is really interesting to me because this is the only place in the report that USB-C is mentioned, and is almost kind of blown past, and that is intriguing because adding USB-C to the iPad is a huge deal. That is a massive deal because of what it could potentially say um, I just found that interesting. This is the only yeah. piece of information about USB-C. It could be huge or it could be nothing, right? Because if they if they have made no real efforts to do anything major with the software to support external devices other than perhaps uh, the, you know, the idea that it's got larger display support, so they're going to have to add some external display mm-hmm. controls in, in uh, the settings app. Um, but beyond that, 
if that's all they do, then all this really is is you're trading your lightning dongles for USB-C dongles. <laughs> and, and, and it's less interesting. Although my hope is if they go USB-C with these devices, that that is setting them down a path where future software updates are going to enable more stuff you could do with USB-C. But you could see a gentle version of a transition where, you know, what it means is you have a different video dongle. You mm-hmm. have a different... You know, uh, you still need a dongle to go to USB-A, right? It's just a different one. Do you think that these devices would have lightning, or do you think they'll be purely USB-C? Um, if I had to guess, I'd guess they'll be purely USB-C because Apple doesn't want to have two ports on it. I would love it if they, they had both. That would be super weird, though, wouldn't it, if they it had USB-C and weird. lightning? I, I, I just assume that instead of a lightning port, it'll have a USB-C port. I would prefer both just for charging complexity reasons. Um, but again, like I would totally understand it. And to be honest, whenever I travel, I always have a USB-C cable with me now anyway. But like I'm uh-huh. more thinking like in my home environments where like lightning is just easy for so many devices. Sure. Um, you know, really, what, I think that um, you know, when I say it's a huge deal, like I was even thinking that like even if it's just the display support, uh, it will be a big deal for us because we will have something to a drum to bang for a while, right? Which <laughs> Thank will be goodness for that. add more, add, add more. more. Yeah. You know? Well, so. I I think the way you look at this is that this is making the iPad in in a lot of ways fall into the laptop camp instead of the phone camp. Yeah, it's it's also just what it says about Apple's belief, like how it right. views the iPad is also a big deal, right? Like. If you remove Lightning, well, Lightning has always been a symbol of iOS. And now if it's USB-C, well, that's more of a symbol of macOS. It, yeah. it is a statement. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean people will say immediately, oh, well, you know, the iPhone is going to go USB-C as well. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, but the, the iPad being USB-C, you talk about charging. Well, I mean, the answer is it charges like a laptop, not like a phone. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And laptops now uh, on in Apple's line are charging with USB-C. So it it's like that. It's more like a laptop and less like the phone. And I think that is not unreasonable. But it does mean that, yes, if you have invested in lots of lightning dongles and don't have USB-C dongles, guess what? <laughs> you, too, will be going to Dongletown. Everybody goes to Dongletown. Dongletown is an inevitability. Yeah, all trains pass through Dongletown. Yeah. Yep, eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on from that, there will be a new Apple Pencil that pairs via proximity. Um, Guillermo mentions AirPods. My initial, like like how, you know, the AirPods will pair via proximity. Right. My thought, though, was like the Logitech Crayon is probably right. the technology that they're that, using here. The way it was described in the article, that's immediately what I thought. The Logitech yeah. Crayon uses a very specific frequency. Um, it doesn't have to do a Bluetooth pair to one device. If you bring it in proximity and start writing on the screen, it just because works. Because the AirPods do not work like the Crayon. You have to manually switch them in software, right? You you can't just walk up to your iPhone and it connects to your iPhone. That That's not how the, the AirPods stuff works. Well, they, they can, but once they've been paired, and that's that's the difference and so it's unclear here but i would not be surprised if what we saw with the logitech crayon is the future of how apple pencil works and so a new apple pencil would use that same idea um i can't imagine he says it's unclear whether the old apple pencil will still work i kind of can't imagine that it won't because you could still do a 
you know, you could still having a Bluetooth pair, like why would you give that up? Um, but I do think that it's more flexible and it's a better user experience if you just take the, take the pencil and put it down and it works because yep. it's all based on proximity and uh, the crayon works that way. So why not? But we'll see that it's all about the details here, but uh, it would not be a surprise if that crayon turned out to be essentially a uh, first peek at what Apple was thinking for the future of the Apple Pencil. And then the mag- what is being referred to as the magnetic connector for accessories on the back of the iPad. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is wacky. Um, and I, I should say, like, I love Guillermo Rambo, um, but, you know, his track record is with uh, digging things out of the details of Apple's stuff and not with sources. So... I think we have to be more skeptical of his sources, even though we're not skeptical of him, because we don't know his track record with sources. And could these be people who do? Are these people who really know this or not? Um, he obviously has some confidence in it, but I would be I would be more skeptical of that. So, especially since a lot of this stuff is telling us stuff that we've already kind of heard. Um, but uh, so I'm going to just inject a little bit of skepticism here. That said, this is one of those things that has been a big question mark for a while now, which is there's a new connector on the back and what does that mean and if you've got a connector on the back and not the side what does that mean in terms of attaching the keyboard if it's on the back does that mean that the keyboard has to have a shell and that they're not going to do the smart cover style keyboards but they're going to do a different kind of keyboard or are you going to have something that kind of like snakes up the back and attach it's it's just it's weird this doesn't give us any more detail on any of that it just is like, yep, that thing. <laughs> and I don't know what that is or why it's where it apparently is on the back. So that's, and, and also it's like, and other accessories. It's like, well, yeah, Apple's been saying other accessories with a smart connector too, and there have been none. So what other accessories? Are there other yeah, accessories like here? This, this connector has to be better at what it's supposed to do than the smart connector was at what it was supposed to do. Right. Now, what it does make me intrigued by is another thing that you and I have talked about a little bit, which is would Apple go full on uh, embracing the keyboard and actually build something that makes your iPad into a laptop instead of just an iPad with a little floppy keyboard? And uh, I don't know, but putting it on the back suggests maybe something like that, something that gives it a lot more back support so it can stay upright in a laptop configuration. Maybe not. I don't know. It's it's. I still don't get it. I still don't get why this thing is there and what it's for and why Apple would do this. And that suggests to me that Apple has something. Has There's another shoe to drop that we don't really know about that is a reason why it's doing this. Because it wouldn't just do this for kicks and to make all of its accessories more complicated, right? It's got to have a, a, a reason why you need that uh, magnetic connector on the back. I'm getting really excited. I can tell. It feels like that, like, I don't know what's going to happen when they actually eventually show these things off, but it feels like it could be something pretty big. Mike, this week is the time where finally my iPad has started to feel slow. I, I definitely am <laughs> mentally prepared for a new iPad because I'm like, Come, why are you doing this? Why don't you react this way? And I honestly, I think it's maybe just the, that I'm on the beta and the beta is bugging me because it's a little bit mm-hmm. buggy, but because I needed a new emoji because Jeremy Burge uh, you know, bullied me into getting the new emoji so yeah. I could see what emoji he was setting me. But um, but I'm getting that frustration of uh, I'm ready to buy a new iPad now. <laughs> so I guess we're there. We're at the season. If only Apple would release them. Yeah, 
pieces are falling out of my iPad screen right now, so I desperately need one. The the the, the cracked screen situation, mm. Jason, has gotten very bad. Like oh boy. A, a piece fell off next to the home button, should... so I keep sticking my thumb into a hole at the moment, and oh, it's man. sharp. You know, I I really desperately need a new iPad Pro. Come on, Apple, so like, save Mike's hands now, please. My kind of theory, my my theory, I'm still sticking to it. I think that invites will go out this week for an event next week. Products shipping on the 26th. I'm sticking. I sure hope I'm so. Sticking to that. I'm sticking to that. Let's hope. Let's hope. I'm keeping my uh, eyes locked to six colors to see that, you know, to see, oh, the invite's gone out. The I, I got the see. invite post. That's a classic. Uh-huh. It's a classic. I want to see, well, I I w- see it. I want to see it, too. Also, we've got our live event in Chicago, and I really don't want Apple to do an event <laughs> while we're supposed to be in Chicago. Yep. Yep. We don't want to. We don't want to think about that, though. That would be super awkward. To all the freelancers out there, let me talk to you about FreshBooks because you know how important it is to make smart decisions for your business. Our friends at FreshBooks can save you huge amounts of time because their cloud accounting software is so easy to use. They simplify tasks like invoicing and expense tracking and even getting paid online. FreshBooks have drastically reduced the time it takes for their over 10 million customers to deal with their paperwork. I was in FreshBooks today because I thought to myself, let me just double check something. I want to see if we have any people that are late in paying us. I can just log right into FreshBooks and right there on the first screen, it just tells me and I can click it and then I can very easily click in and see, did this person look at the invoice? I see that they didn't. It says it was just sent to them and not opened. So then I can resend it again. It arrives in their inbox. They open it and it's great. I don't need to send them an email and be like, oh, hey, did you see? I don't need to do any of that with FreshBooks. All of this information, all of this power is right at my fingertips. We have sent, I think over like or getting close to 1,500 invoices with FreshBooks over our time because we've been using them since day one at RelayFM, and I absolutely love this service. If you ever send any invoices or do expense tracking or anything like that, please check out FreshBooks because they really are the real deal. I love this service. They are offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial for listeners of this show. No credit card required. Just go to freshbooks.com upgrade and then when they say, how did you hear about us? Tell them you heard about them on, from this show. So that's freshbooks.com slash upgrade and you can try it out for 30 days. Our thanks to FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, this is a weird one. Uh, you've probably heard about this by now. It is a business, a Bloomberg Business Week story um, that has implicated Apple and Amazon in a Chinese surveillance issue. So... This has been something that has been going on some very weird twists and turns. This this is the type of story, Jason, that I ideally like to just avoid because it's super high level. I don't really have anything like particularly insightful that I think I can say about it. But it's taken so many strange twists and turns over the last seven days that I feel like we have to at least catalog it on the show, because if we don't talk about it at this point, it would seem almost strange, because it has dominated the news cycle over the last week or so, right? Would you agree? Yeah, this is such a difficult subject, because we don't know anything, right? Yeah, and we don't no, know anything, yeah. nobody seems to know anything. Everyone's saying something, and it's all conflicting. <laughs> yeah, exactly right, so... Uh, but it, at least we need to address it, if nothing else, yep. just to to say that there. <laughs> hey, how did this elephant get in this room? 
And so I guess that's what we're doing now. Very big elephant in a very big room. Here's mm. the timeline of events. I'm going to try and break them down, okay? With like the, the kind of like the big tentpole things that have occurred in this news. So Bloomberg Businessweek last Thursday published a report that claimed that companies, including Amazon and Apple, had had discovered Chinese surveillance chips in server hardware obtained from a company called Supermicro. Bloomberg says that Apple found the chips in May of 2015, kept it quiet, and informed the FBI. They also say that there is an ongoing investigation still going on about this hardware hack. This was the report. It was this big report. They did like a whole big, like different layout for it. Yep. Like it was a big thing for them. And again, you have like let's let's look at this in just its uh, bubble for a second. If this is the information you have, that is a friggin' huge story, right? Like that yeah. is massive. And they play it as that this is this is their magazine cover story. Basically, they got mm-hmm. art. They got like lots of photographs of. Uh, Pencils fingers. and fingers. <laughs> fingers with chips on them, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And so they, they're very proud of this big story that's this big expose about how China is is infiltrating America's tech companies with their, their uh, hardware hacking of uh, motherboards where they're putting uh, secret chips that compromise the systems on and are shipping them into the data centers powering the cloud in the United States. That is that is their story. We're blowing the roof off of this thing. Uh, look at this. Look at how China is uh, infiltrating our cloud companies. And then something strange happened. Apple went nuclear on this one. Yeah, yeah. Apple Apple released multiple denials that were by far the most sort of like definitive, uh, aggressive. Like, I feel like we're all fairly well trained on what your usual non-answer answer is from Apple PR. Mm -hmm. And this was not that. This was categorical. (laughs) Especially post Steve Jobs, because, you know, Jobs would sometimes write these kind of op-eds. Right, which sure scathing, but yes. that, that sort of stuff doesn't exist anymore. Nobody's doing that. Um, so you say they 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 gave multiple statements to multiple press outlets. Uh-huh. Then they published a press release titled uh-huh. "What Business Week Got Wrong About Apple," which is like the most passive aggressive aggressive title yeah. I may have ever seen from Apple the, why why business week disappointed us yes you, you, it was they were um, holding it wrong yeah and and there were there was the escalation too where they did the initial denial and then people mm-hmm. said well they could be told you know they could be not able to say that there are national security things here that prevent them from saying that at, at which point an Apple spokesperson said no we don't there has been no uh, no statement by government entities telling us not to say anything, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think technically means that that's probably true. Like, I think they would have no comment on that yeah. if they couldn't yeah. comment on it. But instead, they're like, nope, <laughs> we have nothing like that. Uh, this is just not accurate. Yep. And uh, and that began a cycle where because Amazon also had a statement and mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other organizations uh, had statements 
it, like the the U.S. Department of Homeland Security came out with a statement saying we have no reason to doubt Apple's statements. Like, yep. what is happening? Yeah. So the U.K. National Cybersecurity Center said this first, and then the U.S. Department of Homeland Security stated in their statement that they agree with the U.K. Uh, team to say they have no reason to doubt the statements from the company's name in this story, which is like a real weird way to say it, but you kind of understand why they say it that way. Like, they believe that it's true. I did want to touch on a couple of things from Apple's press release just because it's so kind of sure. fascinating in its own way. So they stated that over the past year, Business Week contacted them multiple times about this story. Every single time, Apple conducted their own investigation and found no evidence and then refuted these claims to Bloomberg, um, both as factual responses and on the record. But I love, I love some of these, uh, just some of the way that this stuff is written. So they say... These are direct quotes from the press release. On this, we could be very clear. Apple has never found malicious chips, hardware manipulations, or vulnerabilities purposely planted in any server. Apple never had any contact with the FBI or any other agency about such an incident. We are not aware of any investigation by the FBI, nor are our contacts in law enforcement. We are deeply disappointed that in, our, in, in their dealings with us, Bloomberg's reporters have not been open to the possibility that they or their sources might be wrong or misinformed. Our best guess is that they are confusing the story of a previously reported 2016 incident in which we discovered an infected driver on a single supermicro server in one of our labs. That one-time event was determined to be, an accident, to be accidental and not a targeted attack against Apple. I love that line, like, that they have not been open to the possibility yeah. that they or their sources might be wrong or misinformed. Um, it goes on that Apple wrote a letter to Congress, once again stating that they have found no sign of this. This letter was written by Apple's Vice President on Information Security, George Stathakopoulos. And finally, BuzzFeed reports that multiple Apple executives have spoken to them on the condition of anonymity about this story. They all say they have found that they know nothing about anything claimed in the story. They have tried to find evidence of this internally, but haven't been able to. And as we focus on Apple, Amazon's in the same boat. They're refuting the complaints, the, the claims. They're making statements. This is so weird, right? This is so weird. It's super weird. Um, and the closest that you get, it's what's interesting about Apple's responses, although it is, you know, what Bloomberg got wrong, we are, we are deeply disappointed. Uh, that kind of language. The real place where the knives come out from Bloomberg is the line, they may not have been open, they were not open to the possibility that they or their sources might be wrong or misinformed. And I think that, uh, looking at it from the outside, I think that's the crux of this for me, which is Bloomberg had somebody tell them that this happened. And they ran with it, which is fine. It is. It strikes me as possible that what that initial inciting piece of information was not accurate, even though it came from people who would seem to know what they're talking about and that it led them on this entire project. And I think maybe some of the fundamental skepticism that journalists often have about companies that deny things came into play. This is my guess. Just I'm just trying to extrapolate this based on what I know of journalism and how journalism works, that then they get denials and they are thinking back to the inciting incident here, the base information they got, which is that this thing happened. They're like, you're denying it, but we know the truth. It, this thing happened. Um, my question is, what is that inciting information? 
where did it come from? Because the danger is that even though Bloomberg says they have multiple sources inside Apple who say this happened, we can't see what the detail is there on that because it's it's anonymous sources um, protected by Bloomberg. And that's fine. They should protect their sources. These are people who uh, they're not characterized in any way other than being like senior Apple people or something. Um, my... If Apple is telling the truth here, which if let's just say it, and several people have said this on on Twitter that I follow who are journalists, if Apple's lying here, that's like a huge uh, that like the law has been broken. Yeah, someone's going to go, prison. People will go to jail for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, so my guess is that this is a game of telephone. My guess is that something happened, perhaps the 2016 incident where uh, a, a driver was. Uh, was discovered that was infected. Or perhaps they're discussing a hypothetical security breach that ex- that somebody at Apple used to discuss why they uh, why they do what they do with their servers in terms of analyzing them and making sure that the suppliers are legit and that every piece on the you know on the motherboard is tested and you know everything they do to make sure that software and hardware isn't inserted into their yeah. uh, their system that is hacked that all of that is going on um because they're like what if this happened right and they have that whole conversation of like what if they hacked us and put this thing in there and then this would happen and that's why we look and that and then you know whether it's the hypothetical or whether it's this 2016 incident or both there's a grapevine of people who don't work on this part at apple but have heard about it secondhand and maybe it gets distorted into that this thing actually happened. Maybe they conflate the infected driver with the hypothetical hardware attack vectors that are discussed as a boogeyman of like, this is why we do, this is why we're awesome and do what we do is because there's bad people out there. And that, is it not plausible that you could end up with a few senior people at Apple who, when talking to somebody they know at Bloomberg, um, off the record or at an event or over dinner or who knows where say oh yeah that that happened here when they're asked about hardware hacking they're like oh yeah i heard a whole story about how that happened here and we got these hardware things that came in and did this spooky stuff and it was bad do you not think that if that was the case though that like i mean obviously that would be documented inside of apple and they would have said in their press release like oh no they're thinking about this considering like how well, that's what Apple said, though, is like, maybe they were thinking about this right, other incident that right, happened. Right, right, I see what you mean. Yeah, okay. So that thing happened and some theoretical testing has, has changed. Yeah, so what baffles me here is, is, is for this to all be true about why Bloomberg is reporting this, it would almost have to be a perfect storm where there were, um, there were people who confirmed, quote unquote, confirmed this thing who maybe didn't know. We don't know, like... Maybe they don't know. Maybe it was just like they thought they knew a fact, but it wasn't a fact. That happens. Not every false piece of information given to a journalist by a source is known to be false to the source, right? That that is a tricky one, but it's a it, that's a, a a true thing that happens. Is you as a journalist have to gauge the quality of your source's information. That's part of it. And since these sources were apparently fairly senior Apple people, they judged them to be. Uh, quality source 
they aren't necessarily. That piece of information may not have been accurate. But still, to have those sources do that, and then to have other Bloomberg sources corroborate this, there is this question of like, is it a, is it a is it an echo chamber where somebody uh, in law enforcement heard that Apple had this happen, even though it was just this story that was going around Apple that wasn't based in truth? Is there another incident out there? Is it this 2016 incident that Apple's referring to? Is there some other incident that affected some other company and it got distorted into being this Apple thing and they all kind of played against each other to give Bloomberg this uh, this piece? But it, what's fascinating is that Bloomberg had such high confidence in this whole story that they did a cover story, they got all that art, they've got all this detail. So that's that's the mystery. Like I can see a lot of ways how this could have gone wrong. I am amazed that if if that it could possibly have gone through all of these different logical steps to reach the fact that it's a cover story in Business Week based on even if that first thing was shaky the fact that at no point with talking to other people trying to parse the logic of this reporting about these other companies that are involved were there uh were there red flags put up other than by the company's denials which you know, as a journalist, you're you are trained to be skeptical of that. Like we've got this thing that Apple got hardware hacked by China, and Apple says they didn't happen. Well, would they admit it if it did? Yeah, of course right? they did. Right, that kind of thing. But what you don't know is how to differentiate those two things. And then when Apple gives this response out in public, like it does, I I gotta say, as an editor, <laughs> you see Apple's response the day you post your thing, and you're like, oh, like because you don't know how they're gonna react. You you know that they're 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 probably being uh, full of bluster with you to say, you know, don't write this. You're wrong. You don't want to write this. It's like, well, of course they don't want any bad PR. They're going to try to intimidate us. But when you post it, and then they come out with a very clear denial that calls you on it and says you never listened to us, and this is completely factually untrue, um, you get that sinking feeling of like, oh no, that that wasn't bluster. We ignored them because we thought it was PR bluster. It turns out it was because we were wrong. And at that point, it's really difficult because now you're in it. You've published it. Um, you know, ugh. and and what's weird is that we also, as far as I can tell, have not really heard a lot of additional detail from Bloomberg about it, which makes me uh, really concerned that uh, that they're unable to go back to their sources and confirm that this is, you know, in more detail, uh, that they kind of got some information a long time ago and have run with it, but haven't really been able to check it out. It is, uh, we're in a really weird limbo state right now. And because this is about international intrigue and espionage and things like that, there's also that cloud hanging over this whole thing, which is there's some players in this who aren't talking because they're spies. (laughs) Right. And so there's that part of it, too. Like maybe Apple actually did get hacked and nobody at Apple knows about it because the only person at Apple who knew is keeping it a secret except to Bloomberg. Right. It doesn't doesn't really add up. So it is it is uh, a lot of detail, a lot of possibilities. I think the most likely scenario is that Bloomberg based this on some sources who thought it was real but they were misinformed because they were getting it through the grapevine at Apple. They thought they were referring to a real incident and they weren't. That's my gut feeling here. There've also been some technical people who look at the story and are like, I don't think this adds up. Like, I don't think you can just do this. Like there are way easier ways to compromise a system than something like this. So there's some skepticism that this may be a little bit kind of uh, panicking about something beyond what anybody would actually do.
you let me ask you a question on this. Um, you worked in this exact industry for many years, right? Like the tech publication industry. You know, totally. It's different to what you do now, right? Like I have a master's degree in journalism. I have go. been writing news stories since I was a high school student. Yeah. So, do you think that it is at all possible that? A, like you know you get a story like this a story so huge it's going to draw so much attention that you could get a little bit blinded like is there a possibility that like the story's so big and so tantalizing that there is like a like a like a weird bias thing that goes on that like you want it to be true so much oh, that totally. you kind of you are less likely to want to believe that apple is giving you the truth in their answers yeah, I mean, that's there's part of that. I mean, you see it for me. I, I keep coming back to the photography and stuff. But let me tell you, like, that's a sign that they knew they had a big story because this was a big takeout magazine yeah. piece where they yeah. got custom art and photography. They got a fake little mini chip thing and a pencil tip and a finger and all this stuff like they were they were doing it up. This was not just like a story with text that ran on a website on a Tuesday afternoon. That is was, not this what this story is. This was going to be in all the airports and all the magazine stands. You know, exactly. This is, this is, we know we've got a big story. You don't have people working on a story for for months or a year unless you are certain that it's going to be huge. And yes, there is some sunk cost fallacy that happens there where once you've worked on it all this time, you got to get a story out of it, right? So that is dangerous because that can push you toward, I'm not saying blue did this, but I can say in general um, that pushes you toward push running the story because you put so much time into it. There are the one of the great temptations for journalists and for editors of journalists is you spend a year on a project and at the close of the year you discover that uh, your project is not uh, you don't have anything that the story just fell apart. You, you had this great story and you had a couple of leads that indicated it was going to be huge. And then through your diligent reporting, you find out that there's nothing there. That's a very difficult thing to deal with because you have to show like show something for the work that you've put in. And if there's no story, that's very hard. So there's some of that going on here, possibly. Um, and, you know, again, I think there's a fundamental skepticism that is good, that serves journalism skepticism of companies especially big companies their pr departments are not you know on a lie detector (laughs) their pr departments as i said last week i think um in a different context i've talked to you know there was a senior person at apple pr for a long time who i talked to and at one point the statement that was made to me was my job is sales like don't forget the pr people are they work for (laughs) They work for Apple. They don't work for you. Their job is to spin everything positively. And so as a journalist, you know, when you think you've got this amazing scoop and somebody from the PR department says, this is inaccurate, we deny everything, um, you just don't believe them. And that's that's the right thing to do. But the vociferousness of Apple's response indicates that they weren't, you know, they weren't just trying to shut down the story. That in this case, they were telling the truth. This wasn't just spin. And I do wonder if if there was, you know, how do you escalate that? How do you get, how do you break through? If you're Apple, how do you break through? Like, did um, Tim Cook or Phil Schiller or something call whoever the editor-in-chief is at Business Week or the editor of Bloomberg or Mike Bloomberg <laughs> and say, I need to tell you something? 
which is that I know that your your people at Business Week think this is a huge story, but I can tell you it is categorically false. And if you run with this, we're going to come out and say you're completely wrong. Don't make a mistake. This right. is not our use. We're not spinning like here. An explicit heads up from them. Right. Right. Yeah. And I got to say, if that happens and you're an editor, you're like, whoa, they're really trying to kill this story. There must be something here. Oh, yeah. And maybe there is. Right. You can't. Again, Ugh. you can't tell. This is this is when when the uh, the secretary of state or the white, let's say White House chief of staff calls Catherine Graham from the Washington Post and says, you got to not do the Pentagon Papers or you got to not do this Watergate coverage. Like, oh, I guess we got a story here if they're trying to suppress it. So that I, I suspect that this is, uh, at least at this point in the process, what happened is that Apple was kind of waving his hands like, no, 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 seriously, this is wrong. And Bloomberg's like, aha, that's what they want you to think. Which, I, again, I think is a good impulse if you're a journalist because so often the companies are telling you things that are are not true they are spinning you they want to minimize whatever it is that's going on however i will say i have never felt like i've never felt lied to by apple pr they spin but i've never felt lied to and if apple came to me and said look this is completely wrong i'd be like oh that is like if they said look off the record (laughs) this story is completely wrong uh you know that would be a very different than we're we're aware of the off the record we're aware of something going on here and we're looking at it and we'll you know we'll be uh, reporting on it as soon as we figure out something like that I I've experienced that um, so you know it's it's fascinating and I I really I hope we get to the bottom to, of it at some point um, but again if Apple is just flat out lying and Amazon too flat out lying about this not having happened. And they, these are blanket statements like this did not happen. Mm-hmm. Then uh, then the stakes are high because, yeah, I think you're right. Somebody's going to go to jail because they're, they're committing fraud by making those statements. I love when we start a thing by saying we're not sure if we have that much to, to say on it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a small story. Small story. I told you I had journalism feels, and there I they know. were. There were my uh, no, feels. No, but the thing is, this was what I wanted because... I don't know anyone else who would be as uniquely qualified to have an opinion on the journalistic part of this than you, right? Like, you ran And we can't this. talk about if you could make a little chip and put it on a motherboard. Don't know like, that. We don't, I don't, I don't know. even know. Like, I literally have no idea if this stuff is possible, but my assumption is always that, like, military and spy technology is always so far ahead that, like, yeah. I'll believe anything anyone tells me, right? Because, like, if you tell me that you can put make a chip which is that small and it will send literally every piece... Yeah, sure, I'll believe it. Like, I'll believe it because military contracts and whatever... That money's so huge. Right? Totally. Like, you know, like, I would just whatever, I'll believe it, right? Because I have no way of knowing otherwise. But this is, you You are, like, and, and were this, you were this person, you were the person who would have made the decision, probably, about whether this was going to run. We we didn't do, you know, in Macworld, we didn't do, like, big investigative journalism pieces. But, I mean, I know I, did, I worked, I worked you know. for a newspaper for a mm-hmm. while. I did that. You know, I, I get it. I get what this is and I uh, the role, the, what has to go through. I had heard one interesting theory about this, which, again, is a conspiracy theory, which is that um, there is a feeling like that they may have been played by somebody possibly in the executive branch of the U.S. government 
that was hyping them up about this stuff mm. because they want to use it because fear of China matters when you're in a trade war with China. And, uh, you know, I think that's I think that's accurate that it, it is in the administration's best interest to have people convinced that China uh, China's technology and its supply chain are a national security threat and that China is our enemy and uh, is out to get us and is already spying on our cloud data and things like that. Like that benefits politically the um, the American uh, administration. I don't think that that means that it actually happened that way, but it certainly does benefit them to have uh, fear, uncertainty and doubt about our tech companies and their relationship with things made in China. Um, so I don't know. It's, I hope we get more information about this at some point though, because I would really like to know if there are secret chips that are reading all of our, uh, <laughs> our cloud server data. And if, uh, if Apple is suppressing that or if Bloomberg just kind of, uh, got something wrong. This week's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Squarespace. You can make your next move with Squarespace because they will let you easily create a website for your next idea or project. With Squarespace, you can take advantage of beautiful award-winning templates that will allow you to show off your great ideas. You can easily register a wonderful unique domain name so people will know exactly about the brand that your website is they'll know exactly what it is just by the wonderful name that you've given it and it also lets it look nice and professional too because you have your own domain name you can register that all within squarespace as well because they're an all-in-one platform that will let you put your project online it doesn't matter what type of website you want to make squarespace has all of the functionality that you're going to need and they back it up with 24 7 customer support if you want to sell stuff they have a store for you to do that if you want to write stuff they have blog functionality for you to just drop into your website. It's so easy to do. They have everything that you are going to want. They're going to have everything that you are going to need. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can sign up for a trial today with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com upgrade. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code upgrade at checkout. This will get you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show. Once again, at squarespace.com upgrade and the code upgrade to get 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Should we do some hashtag ask upgrade questions? Great idea. Josh wants to know, is there a way to make a shortcut run every day at a specific time automatically? Oh boy, do I wish there was. Wouldn't that be oh, a wonderful nice? addition, mm-hmm. Jason? This is not possible to do. Um, I expect this will be at some point. It feels like a really natural next step. It's going to be on the list for next year. Yeah. yeah. You'd expect so, right? Bringing like it you- over was phase one, bringing shortcuts over uh was phase one from workflow phase two presumably will be all sorts of things and and this has to be on that list it just makes sense but what i will recommend to you if you want to do something that's that kind of can approximate this you can use an app like launch center pro where you can make a launch center pro action to be a shortcut it allows you to like select a specific shortcut and you can set a schedule there so you can say like oh every day at whatever time you can notify me or even by location and what happens is Launch Center Pro will give you a notification. You need to tap on the notification, but then it will open the shortcut and run the shortcut for you. So, you know, it's not it's not perfect, but it can get you like 70% of the way there 
right? You 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 need to tap something, but it stops you from having to remember it or have a note or have like you set up an alarm to remind you to do something. So right. you still have to be involved in some way, but you know it will get you part of the way there. Yeah, I wanted to mention Lunch Center Pro because the general perception has been like, well, because of shortcuts and workflow that Lunch Center Pro isn't relevant, but it actually has a bunch of features that uh, do very clever things like uh, location-based launching that doesn't happen in shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's stuff you can do to actually trigger shortcuts from Launch Center Pro that are very clever. Um, in terms of scheduling, you know, you can, you, there are alarms now. The home app lets you schedule things. You have to have a home kit hub in your house, an Apple TV or an iPad to do that, but it lets you schedule things in home kit. So I feel like Apple is right on the verge of being able to do this, but we haven't quite gotten there yet. There are probably, you know, there are security implications and user interface implications. If you can set a thing that is basically running code at a certain time, like, is that, uh, surreptitious, you know, there's like lots of stuff that you have to step through in order to make that happen. But it would be super convenient to be able to run things at a particular time of day. So hopefully they'll figure that out for next time. Ted writes in, both of you seem to be enthusiastic Instagram users. Do you ever feel down after looking at Instagram for a couple of minutes because everyone else's life seems so much more exciting? So I am a uh, I am an enthusiastic Instagram user. Would you consider yourself an enthusiastic Instagram user, Jason? I would not. You use it every now and then. If I'm traveling or at a sporting event or am taking a picture of something amazing, I which is usually traveling or at a sporting event, I will post it to Instagram. Yep. And when I'm there, I will look at Instagram. But I don't check Instagram every day. So I probably... Uh, you know, when I look, it's like, hey, my friends are doing things great. And then that's sort of it. So I definitely don't feel that because I'm not I'm not popping in there to get feedback about what's happening in the world. I just use it as a kind of sharing service when I, you know, I work out of my garage. I'm not taking pictures most of the mm-hmm. time and I'm not looking at Instagram most of the time. I am consuming and uh, what would you say, like creating like I, I am giving more to Instagram and spending more time in Instagram at an increasing rate. It's a social network that I get a lot more enjoyment out of than some of the other places that I frequent on the internet. Um, so, you know, Jason is at Jasonell on Instagram. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E on Instagram. You should follow us there, especially follow me because I use stories a lot now. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing a lot more to my Instagram stories. Um, FOMO is the thing that Ted is is reaching for here. Fear of missing out. So you see something happening and you're like, oh man, I wish I was there. I wish I was doing that. It is a real thing, a thing that people feel. And sometimes I'll I'll feel this way. Like if I see a bunch of my friends together, like that, and I'm not there for some reason, like I'll be like, oh man, I wish I was with my friends. But mostly no, like I don't see stuff that Jason's doing or Federico's doing or Steven's doing or Serenity's doing and be like, like just in general, like sad that I'm not doing the cool things that they're doing. So my recommendation to you, Ted, and to anyone really, is this is a general blanket statement. If a social network makes you feel sad, try to stop try to stop using that social network. That that would be my advice that I would give uh, to our yeah. listeners. Samuel writes in Do you mix and edit your shows differently, knowing how apps like Overcast will change them with smart speed? voice boost and i will also add to that just general speed changes that people may do they may listen to the show at 1.5 times speed for example jason do you make any accommodations for this stuff 
I am curious what you have to say here, although I think we're going to be on the same page, which is um, overcast voice boost exists to make shows that sound bad sound better. Or shows that sound good sound louder, is, which is another thing. Yeah, but I, I, would say, I would say the primary thing is a show that is mixed too quiet. Mm-hmm. And it maybe the vo- the volumes are off, and it helps boost it. So my my thought is, not everybody has voice boost. Not everybody has overcast. I make my show so people can listen to it without needing to fix its audio. So I uh, I don't do this because I want to take control of it and make it to sound as good as possible to begin with before getting it to overcast. So. Um, so I would say no to that. And smart speed, you know, I never was somebody who was cutting out like long, well, long pauses I cut out, short pauses I don't. And smart speed is all about the individual detail work. I don't do individual detailed dialogue edits where I'm pulling out every single um and uh. The My method of using uh, logic involves finding any time that there is a pause for longer than a second. I see those because I'm strip. I'm using strip silence, uh, so everything there's a there's a break, there's a cut if there's silence for more than a second in the settings that I use, and I will close those up because that feels like there's a weird long pause happening that I want to close up. There's often an um or an uh that's associated with it, and I can just close all of that up, and the person's thoughts just continue to flow, and it's all great. Uh, but Smaller ones, I don't bother. So I, I don't do that either. Nor do I consider the fact that people are going to listen to this at all sorts of speeds. One and a half times, two times, three times, whatever. I can't. Like, I edited it at 1x. I want it to sound good at 1x. And then everybody's algorithms and personal preferences can do whatever the heck they want with it. I just want it to sound good at 1x. And then everybody else can do whatever they want. Yeah, I there are too many preferences that people may have they're switching on and off in all of the different applications like so many apps do something like a voice boost or something like a silence removal right now that it's 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 too tricky that if I did want to tune it to tune it in a way that would be best of all of them because every app does things slightly differently. So I don't make any considerations to the audio to try and sound good in a specific preference other than yeah. nothing. Right, like no silence boosting, so no voice boosting, no no audio EQing. You know, like I I'm just making it so like if you use nothing, the show sounds good. If you want to do speed stuff, that's that's for you, right? Like in smart speed and silence removal and like the voice, the silence skipping and stuff. It's in Pocket Cast, the stuff. It's in Overcast. It's it's good. You know, like I use it, but like every now and then they will all destroy something in a show, right? Like a show with music in it. It's just going to rip through that music at times. You know, I was going to say I would love and I don't know if this is ever even technically possible. I would love to be able to mark parts of my show that have like music in them. I actually saw Marco having a conversation with somebody about this on Twitter recently. And his I think it was with Jeremy Burge. And if I'm I'm paraphrasing, but he was like there would then just be some people that mark the entire show that way and it's yes. going against the, the, the what the listener wants or like they would do it to ads or, yeah. Yeah, I could say that, but he could also limit it to 30 seconds or something mm-hmm. like that as these very specific things. I would love that or even better, and I know that there are algorithms out there that claim to be able to do this. Marco will probably shoot this down too, but Marco does so much audio processing. 
um, maybe the next generation smart speed detects music and sets it off and says, oh, music is running yeah, but here. what if you run music under the, you know, you run mu- Anyway, but yes, there are, there are many ifs and buts. But basically, uh, yeah. I just make the show for how it's going to be. And then whatever preferences the listener wants to place on them, I'm like, that's cool. Like, in, right. Sometimes if I'm making a particularly interesting or tricky or like I'm, I'm doing something that's a little bit out of the box, I will check it. This is typically around like, doing weird stuff with chapters for fun right yeah like i'm adding art in i'm adding some secret art in. then i'll check it that it works and yes or it doesn't break in a couple of apps right um before i publish it but when it comes to the audio stuff uh, there's only so much we can do and yeah. we can't plan for everything so no my big thing is that i use a compressor on the voices on all the podcasts i do and then i do a master compressor on the end and what that basically means is i'm trying to bring everybody's voice up to essentially the same volume all the time because mm-hmm. uh, not only do different people in different places have different volumes but as speakers sometimes we talk like this and then you know sometimes we trail off and we talk like this and by putting the compressors on there and i'm kind of aggressive with it what i want is i want everybody to be audible all the time I don't want the podcast to, re- to need a podcast player feature so that you can hear every word that I say. Um, but so, you know, so I do that, even though I could probably get away with not doing that, knowing, well, you know, Overcast will fix it if, it, if it's a problem. I want it to go out the gate as good yeah. and as listenable as I can make because it. Because not everybody yeah. listens in one app, right? And that's the no. great thing about podcasting. So I don't want to just master. Uh, we're not doing like master for Overcast or like, you yeah. know, like <laughs> pocket cast approved. You know, like we're not doing that because that's not the way it is. And again, like if you want to, I, I do things slightly differently to Jason. I do some audio leveling before rather than yeah. compression after. If you want to hear about this in a little bit more detail, listen to episode 200. Yeah. of this very show where we go into Also, it. if you ever wondered why some of our episodes sound different from others, every so often there's one that sounds a little bit different. You usually tell because the music uh, is a little different at the intro. It's because when I edit Upgrade, which I usually don't do, it's usually Mike, but when I edit Upgrade, I use my template. And so I use my compression settings and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it does sound different. And it does sound different. I, that, I prefer yeah. the way I sound in my edit. <laughs> right? And I prefer how it yep. sounds in mine. And this is, like, because audio editing is like an art, really. It is an art. It is. There are lots and of different ways you can go. That's the right. editor has their preference for how things should sound. Yep. And, you know, that's just how it is, right? And, and I kind of... It's a weird thing that I've I've come to love. I also I have software that you don't have, and you have software that I don't have. So mm-hmm. I couldn't actually do what you do because you have software I, I don't to, have. Because I want you to edit your way, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, so there you go. That's right. Even though I put the music at the wrong place. That's my I little have a very, card. I have a very specific place <laughs> that I. No, it's not just that. You use completely different music. Uh, I, well, that's I, also true. I have a very specific place uh, that I that I put the music and oh, where I, know I begin do. to speak, and mm-hmm. I disagree with it, and mm-hmm. uh, that's fine. So you can tell those are the those are the little uh, tidbits for when uh, one of us mm-hmm. uh, edits the show instead of the other one. Anyway, uh, that was a fun question. We call it editor's prerogative. That's that's exactly. how I call it. All of these things. Thank you, Samuel. So that, whoever I'll has to do the work, now. they get to make mm-hmm. their preferences. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for today because <laughs> we had a lot more to say on that one. I think anytime anybody ever asks us about some kind of 
podcast editing decision, we'll have a lot to say on it. So if you do have questions like that, again, we're always happy to accept them, but I expect a lot of those answers can be found in episode 200 of this very That's program true. where we spoke for about an hour and a half just about that. Um, mm-hmm. And then about some other stuff. One of my favorite episodes of this show. If you've never heard it, I recommend that you go and listen. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on a future episode of this very program, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade, and we will do so. I want to thank Squarespace and FreshBooks and Simple Contacts for their support of this very show. If you'd like to find Jason online, go to SixColors.com and TheIncomparable.com for more of Jason's wonderful work. He is uh, at Jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L, on Twitter and Instagram. I am at I'm Mike, I-M-Y-K-E. Once again, please follow me on Instagram. Um, I'm trying to share a lot more uh, stuff that I'm doing there, and it's a very different medium that I'm enjoying greatly. Me and Jason both host many shows um, on Relay FM. You can go to relay.fm slash shows to find your next second favorite podcast after Upgrade, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, we'll be back next time. Until then, Upgradians, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next time. Say goodbye, Jason Snow. Farewell. Upgradians. <laughs>